last Sunday, um, we dived into the topic of wisdom as we're going through a series on reconciliation. And we thought about the role that wisdom plays in helping us to walk well with one another in the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, learning to behave in line with what we believe. Turning truths from things that are beliefs that we hold in our head to lived out realities that actually make a difference in our experience of life and in the ways that our lives impact other people. And according to the Bible, where the rubber meets the road, to use that expression, is a test of whether we actually believe what we say we believe or whether it is just ideas that we hold. Uh, where the rubber meets the road, where, where we actually do something about it, that's where we can tell how deeply we believe and what we really think is true versus what is not true. So as uh, we thought about that last week, uh, we're going to continue to explore that again today. Um, but we're going to focus on the role of listening in learning wisdom. And before we do that, I'd like to show you a video that I came across on Monday of a lady who uh, very powerfully unlocked the, uh, the power of wisdom, uh, sorry, of listening uh, to help uh, achieve a really good outcome that others were struggling to achieve. So tune in as we watch uh, this video. And uh, Bev, if we could have the front lights off, that would be great too. Thank you. The Institute of Peace works with peace builders from all over the world, supporting their efforts to end violent conflicts and promote reconciliation. Betty Bagombe came to the Institute from Uganda to better understand the dynamics of conflict in her native country. As a government minister, she used negotiating skills to confront those who were committing atrocities against civilians. Through her personal determination and strong commitment, she made an important contribution to peacebuilding efforts. Here is her story. I'm Betty Bigombe. I'm from Uganda. For the last 23 years of my life, I've been trying to end the war between the government of Uganda and the Lord's Resistance Army. I've seen women raped. I've seen landmines blow up people right ahead of me. I've seen people mutilated. I made up my mind I was going to do everything possible to reach out to the warlords and talk to them, talk them into uh, a peaceful solution. I went into the jungle knowing very well there were chances of not coming back alive. The leader can decide to kill you, he can decide to mutilate you. But I was determined because I felt that if meeting with the rebels could bring peace, would save lives, it was worthwhile making the commitment. Being a woman, at the beginning played against me. The first reaction was, this is a male domain. The rebels actually, one after the other, asked me to leave or else they would kill me. But women are more patient. They're more ready to listen. And so even if I was angry, I knew of the atrocities they were committing, but I had to sit and talk to them in a gentle manner like a mother. As a peace activist, 
I believe that persuading the warring parties to go to the table to talk is the best option because military solution doesn't give the defeated side opportunity to address their grievances. There might be some semblance of peace for a short period of time, but sooner or later, their grievances will emerge. When you bring a political solution to any kind of violent conflict, then all these other underlying causes are addressed, and therefore people can start living together in harmony. Peace is absolutely possible in Uganda. We've gone very far. Although no peace agreement has been signed, the rebels have moved out of northern Uganda. It's just gratifying to see the building their homes, schools are being rebuilt. We're taking our lives in our own hands. We're not going to allow war to occur anymore. We will do everything possible to stop it. So remarkable courage and wisdom shown by Betty Bugombe, wasn't it, in that situation? And that video is a bit old. Uh, it's uh, about six years old. But if you look at a map of where the Lord's uh, Liberation Army or Lord's Republican Army are, are operating even today, they have shrunk down so much because people aren't buying into that cause anymore. And they're not active at all in Uganda, which was the area that she was working in. So what do we learn from Betty's story? It reminds me of the words of Jesus where he says... So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And in Philippians 2, you might remember these words from the Apostle Paul. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Did you notice how Betty coming into those situations uh, was interested in listening and teasing out what people's real interests were, what was really going on for them, rather than trying to impose uh, changes on their behaviour? She saw those atrocities. Uh, she experienced the maltreatment. Um, but yet she was able to look beyond that and to seek to understand and respond and address their grievances. She started travelling through rural areas to visit camps for internally displaced people, building relationships uh, among people who really didn't get on well with the government, who she represented. And she sat patiently for hours in front of bonfires, taking notes, chiming in from time to time to ask questions, saying things like, if you want to call me names, feel free to do so. If you want me to leave, I will. And she stayed in the camps with those people, despite the terrible conditions that were often uh, going on there. And she invited people to air their grievances and to suggest what uh, solutions they would like to see put in place. And they told her that it was rare and refreshing for an outsider to give them an opportunity to share their views. She empowered them to generate their own solutions and gave them a sense of ownership. And eventually they rethought their resistance to this person who had come in as a representative from the government that they had so many grievances with. And she became known as Mother. Isn't that kind of cool. And she came into that situation as a representative of the enemy and by listening well and seeking to understand and address their interests, she became known as their mother. A woman representing the government being honoured as a mother to its rebels. So how do you know how to look out for other people's interests? How do you know how to help people discover the truths that they need? 
How do you know how to help people grow in the wisdom to actually live it out and to do things differently? Especially in a situation like that where you're confronted with such appalling behaviours, how do you not just kind of judge that and just seek to punish? How do you actually seek to help them to grow so that they don't live in those ways anymore? Well, it starts with listening. So we're going to look at some scriptures on this in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like you to think about a time when you did not feel heard. Can you think of a time when you, you uh, were in a conversation with somebody or in a public discussion or whatever it might have been and you feel like your concerns aren't being addressed, which was part of the frustration that those rebels were feeling. We're not being heard and the acting out, as terrible as it was, was part of that. When did you not feel heard? And I want on your worksheets, if you would be willing to write it down, uh, or maybe you can talk about it with somebody next to you, what was the specific behaviours that told you that somebody wasn't really listening to you? Take a few moments, I'm not going to rush you. What were those specific behaviours which just gave you the clue, this person doesn't really want to listen to me right now? Maybe it was that body language. Maybe it's not putting the book down or not turning the, the TV off. Uh, maybe it's you know, the facial expressions. Maybe it's changing topic as soon as there's an opportunity or butting in with a, a solution to your problem. What was it that told you that they weren't really listening to you? And I guess the question that follows on from that is, how did you feel in that moment? And then how did you feel afterwards? Was it humiliation? Well, obviously I'm not worth listening to. Is it resentment that comes afterwards? What is it that goes on in you when you feel like somebody's not really listening and doesn't care for you enough to listen and understand how you feel and what you think and what's going on for you, what your circumstances are and all that kind of stuff? And then what did you do in response? It's interesting to notice that about yourself, isn't it? When you've been in that situation where you weren't being heard, you weren't really being listened to. Some people get more agitated and more determined. I'm going to get my point across. Sometimes people just shut down. They say, oh, there's no point anyway. Sometimes when people go away and then they start to talk about the person who didn't hear them so that other people know what a jerk they've been. There's so many ways that we respond. What did you do when you didn't feel heard? And as we think about that, what, what are the sorts of things that people do that communicate that they're not really listening and what, what we feel as a result and then what we do as a result? It's not a pretty picture, is it? And we wish that we'd never experienced that kind of stuff, but we have. All of us have. And if we're honest, we may even have been that person who exhibited those behaviours and made people feel those sorts of things. And maybe played into some decisions that they made that were unhelpful as a result. So much more positively, let's, let's flip that around. What is it like to feel heard? Have you had those experiences? I really hope you have. We tend to remember the negative ones, or at least I do. You tend to feel those more deeply. But when you actually step back and think, you know what, that person really listened well. That person really wanted to understand me. That person was interested in me. What were those specific behaviours? That clued you in. Maybe it was that they put the book down or flicked the telly off. Or maybe it was that, that you heard them kind of doing that, hmm, yeah, and there was facial expressions going on. Maybe they asked an insightful question that, that made you go, yeah, that person gets it. Or they don't get it yet, but they want to. So what were those things that really clued you in that somebody was listening to you? 
How did that feel when you were being so well heard in that moment? And what did you do in response in that situation? Now, as you just think through life's experiences of being either heard or unheard, it's pretty obvious when you remember the words of Jesus, so in everything, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Uh, and the words of Paul, uh, look out not only for your own interests but also the interests of others. It's pretty obvious what kind of people we want to be, what kind of behaviours we want to exhibit, what kind of feelings we want to produce in others and what kind of impact we want to have on them as they respond to the way that we engaged with them. It's clear how we would like to be treated. So why don't we do that all the time? Why isn't it our default? Well, maybe it is for you and maybe it's just me up here saying, you know, I don't do this well all the time. Well, Proverbs says this to us. The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. Better reflected on the fact that so many had gone in and said, this is what you need to do or let's work out a solution. And, and the, the rebels hadn't actually felt heard up until that point. The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace. And isn't it, as we talked about last week, isn't part of the reason that we do that is because we think we're already wise enough? Hey, I know what you need to do here. Oh yeah, I get it. And we're actually showing our foolishness when we answer before we really listen. As another proverb in the same chapter, in verse 2 says, A fool does not delight in understanding but only wants to show off his own opinions. This is that moment where I get a little bit red-faced and go, mm. <laughs> I think I identify with that sometimes. I think I've been in a conversation where I just can't wait to say what I think and have people say, you're right. Have you ever known what that's like? Or I see where somebody's doing something, I just want to let them know, you're not doing the right thing. And it would be nice if they said, you're right, but at least everyone else can say, yeah, you were right about that guy. You know, it's, we love to be shown to be right, sometimes more than we love actually understanding. But it's not only that desire to show off what we know that causes us to be quick to speak and slow to listen, reluctant to listen and understand. There's a few more that I've experienced, and there's so many Bible verses we could uh, go through today, but uh, so that you do get to get out of here before lunchtime, I want to just talk about some of what I've experienced. And hopefully if you know the Bible well, you'll go, yeah, talks about that in a lot of different places. See if you identify to some of these barriers to listening. Impatience, where I'm so conscious of my time that I'm not so conscious of the value of the other person in that moment. I'm valuing my time more than I value them. And maybe it's because you want to get back to watching the footy or getting on with that important job, but something has become more important than really understanding the other person. This is a big one for me, a mental comparison, where I remember the last time this issue came up or a conversation I had with somebody else who was similar or when I saw that thing happening uh, in another situation and you think that you already know because of something similar that's happened before. You bring the past into the present. So rather than really listening to understand what's going on right now, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've had this conversation with somebody else before. Oh, I know why people do that. Or, yeah, I've heard that argument. Rather than just slowing down and listening. Defensiveness. Oof. Sometimes if you feel like you're being attacked, do you know what it's like to have the adrenaline pumping and the, you know, the heart rate increases and you've just got to defend yourself more than you can just slow down? And how well do I actually understand what they're saying to me? 
And maybe you're feeling defensive about yourself or maybe it's somebody that you love and you feel like defending them is more important than understanding what's really going on in the situation. We all all felt that urgency sometimes. And this next one is really interesting, that inability to empathise. Sometimes somebody's experience is just so different to mine that I'm having trouble actually grasping what what they're trying to say and how they're really feeling, and and all that I need to understand if I'm going to engage in a loving and truthful way. Or maybe it's that I'm so distracted by what's going on in my world and what I'm feeling that the ability to put that to the side so I can really tune in. What's this person really trying to say? What, What are they feeling in this moment? And how can I love them well? Sometimes it's hard to do that. And you might think of you know, a whole bunch of more reasons that you struggle to listen sometimes, but I know that there's, there's four, as well as that one that, out of Proverbs, which makes five. I identify with all of those. But you know, there's not just internal things that make it hard to listen to people really well. There's the obvious kind of external barriers as well. Like sometimes you're just in a noisy place and trying to listen to somebody well, it's just hard in that moment. And sometimes you are legitimately busy And so you just don't have time to slow down and to listen to somebody and to care for them in that moment. And sometimes there are physical issues in how well you hear or how well somebody is able to express themselves. And they happen for all kinds of reasons. Um, Sometimes they're developmental reasons. I, I love helping little kids. And you might remember this as an example of Jesus. I love to make sure little kids know that as a trusted adult in their community that I want to nurture them and care about them, I'm interested in them. So I I like to take the time and get down on their level and and be interested in what they're doing. Kids don't always speak that clearly, do they, when they're learning how to speak? And sometimes I feel really bad. It's like, I want to be able to respond to what you just said, but I've got no idea what that was. And that's just a simple external barrier. You just can't quite understand what's going on as much as you would like to. There are different access and those different developmental stages and and different languages which we naturally speak and and we're all learning how to communicate really well. Sometimes there are those external barriers as well. And I don't want to let either internal or external factors prevent me from doing what Jesus models, what the Bible commands and what Betty's experience shows to be so powerful and really listen to people. I want to know how to to pursue the better way that the Bible has for us. So there's another proverb that I want to live out. doesn't matter what's going on internally. doesn't matter what's going on externally. There's a proverb that I think all people benefit from when they put it into practice in their lives. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this. Counsel in a person's heart is deep water, but a person of understanding draws us out doesn't matter what's going on in a person's life or how badly they're acting out. You want to know what's actually going on inside. What is it that's driving that? How can we help people understand what they really believe and what they really feel and what their attitudes are really like and all of that kind of stuff so that God can speak his truth into their hearts? The word translated counsel here can mean a person's motives, their plans, their thought processes, their attitudes, their beliefs. It's all of that stuff that is going on inside us. And so often we don't really understand all that's going on inside us until we can slow down and somebody's able to help us to process all that. And it's a wonderful gift when that happens. As we've been thinking about over the last month, biblical reconciliation happens when we come to agreement in the truth. 
It's not just about agreeing with each other. It's not just about being similar in what we want to do and how we want to do it. It's actually coming together in the truth that is in Jesus. That's where you have true reconciliation. It's being in right relationship with God and with people. And whenever our lives line up with God's truth, and sometimes it happens in ways we don't even know and don't acknowledge, but when we are living out what God says is true, then we and others are blessed. That's why Romans 12 urges us, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. As you allow God to teach you what is true and live that out, you discover his ways are always good. They are the best ways for us and everyone else. So when you agree with people in ways that disagree with God, you are not winning. When you join with people in things that don't line up with God's good plans, you are not winning. That might feel like you're together, but you're heading in a destructive direction and eventually it will tear you apart. But it's when we come together in God's ways, that's real reconciliation. And last week as we thought about what is it like to be able to grow in that together, how do we grow in wisdom of living according to God's truth, uh, we looked at four things. That In the very beginning of the book of Proverbs it says we're going we're to speak these things and help us to grow and there's an invitation to join in that community. And the very last one there seems weird if you've watched Batman movies. Uh, how do riddles help people? Um, you know, if you've read uh, Lord of the Rings or whatever, and uh, riddles, how are they you know, helping people to be wise? Isn't that just trying to stump somebody? No, no, riddles in the way that it's used in the Bible is it's helping people to kind of sit back and go, oh, not sure, I'll have to think about that more deeply. And it's doing exactly what Proverbs 20 talks about. It's drawing out those deep waters. What do I really think? What do I really believe is true? What does God actually say? It's to pause and uncover things that had been hidden. That's what that is all about. It's about asking really great questions. So today we're going to um, think about what is it uh, that's going to help us to ask really great questions that then allows us to listen well to people and to journey together into God's truth. See, in any given situation and on any given topic you might be discussing, there's always four things that can be going on. And it doesn't matter if you are having a great time with somebody or whether you're involved in a conflict with somebody or whether you're debating something with somebody. Whatever is going on, whenever you have community of two or more people, these four things are always true. Either you could both be right doing the right thing or thinking the right thing or saying the right thing. You could both be on the same page and you could be A-OK -okay, and that's great. Or I could be right and you could be wrong, which is, you know, the other half of the time. So, <laughs> not really. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I might see things that others don't see. Or sometimes I might be doing things that are right where others might be doing things that are wrong. That can happen sometimes. Next one is you could be right and I could be wrong. Sometimes what you think is correct and what I think is wrong. Sometimes what you're doing is right and what I'm doing is wrong. That can be the case sometimes. And the last box, which is the least pleasant one, we could both be wrong. Both what we're thinking and how we're doing things, we could both be wrong at the same time. And that's kind of obvious when you know your theology, when you know the story of the Bible from the very beginning. We're all made in the image of God. All of us reflect his goodness somehow, that's part of being human. You can't get away from that. You can't undesign us in the image of God. Every single human being has stuff that they know and believe which is right and stuff that they do which is good. It's part of the stamp of the creator. And if you say that that's not true about somebody, you're saying the designer wasn't very good. 
That's a stupid thing to say. Don't say that. It's offensive to people and it's offensive to God. Recognise every person is made in God's image. Every person bears his stamp. So we recognise that in people, but we also recognise that the fall affects us all. We're all corrupted somehow. We all make mistakes. We all fall short of the goodness of God. You do it, I do it. And that means that all of these things need to be true all the time. Sometimes the areas that we are um, reflecting God's image overlap. Brilliant, we're both right. Sometimes the areas that where we're stuffing up overlap and we're both wrong. And then the, other, the rest of the time, well, it'll be one of us who's doing right and one who's doing wrong. One who knows right, one who knows wrong. That's just common sense. It's the logical outworking of biblical anthropology, what the Bible says about people. But the reason I, I take the time to point that out is when you stop and think that, and remember that that's true, it can help you to frame good questions that will enable you to make the most out of each of those situations. So for example, let's start with the, my favourite box, we're both right. When you agree with someone, and especially when you agree on things that really matter to both of you, how does that feel? It's encouraging. It's affirming. It's reassuring. It helps you to feel close to somebody. You know when you, you discover something you have in common with somebody? It's like there's a bond that forms, right? Affirming things we both believe is, and value is great for our relationship. Now let's just say that you're having a disagreement with somebody. Um, don't you find that sometimes everything can revolve around that disagreement? So if you're able to ask questions and to listen well and be reminded of areas where you both agree, and it might be as simple as, even though we're disagreeing in this moment, we both want to please Jesus. Praise God. That's more important than what you're disagreeing about, isn't it? Or it might be that just simply your shared humanity. One of you loves Jesus, one doesn't. Whatever it might be, find the thing that you can agree in. Because it builds a sense of connection and, and, and uh, trust in one another uh, that is essential if we're going to move forward anywhere. The Apostle John said, I've got no greater delight in my life then when I see my children agreeing in the truth. I identify with that. As a parent, I identify that, and I know what it's like to experience that. Finding ways, uh, areas in which you are both right, that you're both living out God's truth, that's brilliant. What kind of questions might lead you to discover that about somebody? What kind of listening might help you to discover that about someone? That's my second favourite box. Uh, my favourite one is that we're both right finding what that is, enjoying the sense of unity that I have with people, enjoying that sense of, yes, we're coming together and we both really want what's right and good for each other. That's my favourite place to be and that's what we need to focus on finding, first of all. My second favourite box and the one that I like to go to next is where you're right and I'm wrong. Now, you might have thought, knowing me, that I like the other one. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's a part of me that really loves that spot too. But in actual fact, as I've gone through life, I've learned to love that, that second box, you're right, I'm wrong. And it's my second favourite because Jesus reminds us that you can't help anybody else discover truth if you haven't been willing to hear it first yourself. And if I care about God's truth, which is often what we say when we want to share it with others. You know, I want to give you the truth. If you say you care about the truth, don't you need to prove that by showing that you want to receive the truth more than you want to give it to somebody else? How can I say that I love truth enough to share it with others if I'm not listening to others who share it with me? Sometimes we need to slow down and ask ourselves that question. And if I believe God's truth is really good, the pain of being shown to be wrong is nowhere near as bad as the pain of actually being wrong. 
and living in ways that don't line up with God's good, pleasing and perfect will. And not only is being shown where I'm wrong really good for me, and I've learned that as much as it hurts when I have to admit that I was wrong, and as much as it hurts to recognise where my wrong thinking and wrong living has affected others, when I put into practice those things and make a change in my life as the Holy Spirit um, does that work in me, it's good for us all. So I learned to value being uh, corrected in that way. Not only is that really good for me and for those that my life impacts, what does it do in my relationship with others when they see that that's actually what I care most about? Builds a bit of trust, doesn't it? And you know that if I come and speak to you about something that you might need to learn, I'm somebody who, who does that too. I'm not putting myself on this pedestal where you're one of the people that gets it wrong. Hey, we... We need to hear God's truth. And when you know that I love doing that in my life, it can break down the barrier toward you being willing to receive it in your life too. Not only that, but when you know that I'm quick to admit where I've made a mistake, when you've seen the efforts I make to change, when you've pointed out behaviours that don't line up with God's will, if there is something that you say to me and I say, no, you know what, I don't believe that's right, well, you know it's not just me being stubborn, me, me being unteachable if you've seen that I'm willing to listen to other things. So it helps you to trust that maybe uh, there's, there's some stuff in me that you may have misjudged as well. And maybe there's some things that you might have wrong that you thought you had right. And that might help you to see that. And that moves us to the next box. Where I'm right and you're wrong. And in the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, this is where you have the opportunity to win your brother over. It's a beautiful thing when you have the opportunity to do that. When somebody is heading down destructive paths, when somebody, somebody is living according to things that they think are true and I think they think are going to lead to good results, but you know that they aren't and God's word affirms it. And God's spirit has kind of challenged you to help them to not continue down that way. When you have the chance to win them over, what a gift it is to that person. Notice Jesus doesn't talk about winning the argument. It's not about winning the fight. Just like Betty saw, hey, winning the war isn't the point here because those resentments are just going to continue for generation after generation. What we want to do is win the person, win the heart. Winning arguments is pointless. Winning people is godly. You know, when you get to a situation where somebody is in the wrong and you've been able to see that and you want to address that with them, you want to get to the end where they are thankful for the correction, not resentful. Completely changes the way that you engage, the sorts of questions that you ask, the sorts of listening that you engage in when you're wanting to help people discover things in their life, some of those deep waters that need to be exposed and brought out into the light so that they can change. Now, those ones, there's so many tools in the Bible about how you can ask wise questions and how you can listen well. Uh, The last one is by far the most dangerous Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a conflict and you realise that actually you guys are both doing the wrong thing right now? Ever been there? Ever been in an argument and you're kind of going around in circles and you eventually get to the conclusion, I don't think either of us have got this right. Um, I think that's quite normal as well. And it's inevitable that sometimes you will both be wrong. And as long as you notice that and are prepared to listen to God, and to seek wise counsel from those who might be seeing things more truly, and those who are living in a way which is good according to God's plan, then you can do something about that. It's not a problem. The danger with that last box is when you're both wrong and you think you're both right. 
It is the most toxic condition to be in as a community. And sadly, it's really, really common. When you've got two or more people who are both wrong but don't realise it, who think that they're both right, sometimes that's coming out of something called groupthink, where because we are in the same group with each other and because we maybe trust each other, like each other, or just don't want to be on the outer, we'll tend to go along with things rather than asking good questions and thinking critically about what we, our group is doing and what we are saying. And that sort of thing fails to take into account the fact that no one gets it right all the time. No matter how much you respect the people in your group, no matter how much you might revere that author or preacher or leader or celebrity or whoever you're looking at, they will make mistakes. And sometimes the mistakes they're making are also the mistakes you're making because you, you have a lot in common with this person. It's why you respect them so much. It's why you're in a group together. And you've got to be attuned to that. I remember being part of a group in a conference and I loved it so much. I was so blessed by it. And then later on I found about some stuff that went down at that conference and my heart just broke. I thought, how can those guys have let that happen? It's just because it's human nature. When we're in a group with like-minded people, we tend to want to agree with each other, want to go along with each other. And sometimes we need to step back and ask very brave questions and say, hang on, doesn't the Bible say this? Should we really be doing that? and to be the person who's willing to let the group grow, even if it might mean that people don't appreciate when you do. And you can tell if you're vulnerable to that kind of thing if you find yourself excusing in the people in your group things that you would condemn in people outside your group. Or if you have to come up with more and more fanciful explanations about why your guys are right when the most simplest explanation is, no, you're probably wrong. Uh, those are a couple of red flags for where you might be in that last box. So there's, a, there's just a quick rundown of the sorts of situations that we find ourselves in life. And this is common as every, anything. You've been in each of these. So the question is, how are we going to really ask good questions and to listen well to each other so that we can actually identify this is where we're at and this is how we can move toward that first box, coming to agreement in what is true and good according to God's word and his character. So I want to encourage you to work on your skill in asking questions. Asking questions that draw out what's going inside people in ways that help both you and them to move toward agreement in the truth. To help you discover things you didn't know were there and be enriched by that or challenged by that. And to help them to see what's going on inside them as well. And you know what? We have a great opportunity to do that today. That's why we encourage people to hang around after a service. You can have a conversation that... By the grace of God, you get to discover something you have in common with somebody and you get to rejoice in that together. Or maybe you'll have an opportunity to draw out some things uh, that don't line up with God's truth. Or maybe as you see what God's taught that person, you go, oh, yeah, I really need to hear that as well. Who knows what that might look like? I wonder today what it would be like to go out from here and to ask about listening skills. What, what are the skills that you've learnt in your lifetime to listen well? What are some examples of great questions? And what were some of those things on our list where we said, oh man, that didn't feel like I was being listened to? If we were to share that with each other today, would we go out and live more wisely, do you think? I think we might. We can do this for each other as we ask good questions and as we listen well. What kind of questions do you find most helpful to lead to the best conversations? That's how we can be ambassadors of truth in our world. The German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, He who can no longer listen to his brother 
will soon be no longer listening to God either. He'll be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. Anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and his brother, but only for himself and his own follies. May that not be our fate. May we grow together as we listen well to one another to deeper agreement in the truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance that we've had to think on this theme of reconciliation. What is it like to see the work of Jesus on the cross fulfilled in us? He took away the things that separated us from you and from one another. He bore the judgment that we deserve. And he freed us to live according to your truth to live reconciled to you and to one another and to be ambassadors of your truth to the world around us. So God, would you help us to pursue that by living wisely and by listening to one another in ways that help each other to do that? Lord, would you give us the wisdom to learn what kinds of questions actually help people uncover the stuff that's going on inside and and lay it open before your word and to discuss it with people who love them? And what sort of questions actually just get people to clam up? What sort of behaviours cause people to to shut themselves away? Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a community that listens well. And as we do that, may we grow closer to one another and closer to you. And may we be the kind of people who, like Betty, as the video at the beginning of our time together showed, actually see great outcomes achieved in the world because of the transforming power of listening well. Amen.